listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Good morning again. So during this series, we've been talking about some of these great heroes of the faith and the many issues that they struggled with and kind of bridging the distance between us and them. A lot of times we can can paint some of the heroes of the Bible, and I think it's fair to call them heroes, but we can paint them in a very celestial light where we tend to think they're they're these perfect sinless people and woe is me I could, I could never live up to that standard but when we look at scripture when we read their stories we find that these are people who were broken who were sinful that God chose to use and redeem in spite of their weaknesses so today we're zooming in on the apostle Peter and his struggles with prejudice so first off who is Peter well, if you ever read through your New Testament and you hear the name Simon, this is Peter. It's the same guy, just different names. Jesus gave him the name Peter, which is Cephas in Aramaic, and it means uh, the rock. Peter was part of Jesus' inner circle. So the way that Jesus' kind of friend group or followers group worked is there was these 72, and then there was the 12 disciples, and then there were these three, Peter, James, and John. And Peter was a part of that inner circle. He's from Bethsaida, a village on the Sea of Galilee, and he was a fisherman. He and his brother Andrew actually had a fishing business with James and John. And Peter's uh, personality is pretty bold. Peter's the guy that, as you're reading through the New Testament and you see something that he does, you're like, okay, there is hope for me. (laughs) Like, if God can use this guy who sticks his foot in his mouth again and again, who does things that he shouldn't, who says things at the wrong time. Uh, One time he, he even rebukes Jesus himself. Another time, he grabs the sword of a soldier and cuts off a guy's ear. So you tend to think, well, all right, if God can use Peter, he can use me. Now, eventually, though, Peter does seem to outgrow a lot of this kind of youthful immaturity, and he becomes the head of the early church in Jerusalem, the spokesman for all 12 of the apostles. And interestingly, it's actually Peter, not Paul, who was the first missionary to the Gentiles. But to get to this point, God had to do some deep spiritual surgery on Peter's heart because Peter had some prejudices. In particular, Peter was prejudiced against Gentiles. Now remember, Peter, like Jesus, was a Jew. And the Jews in that day and age, in that time, in that place, were a pretty exclusive group. Peter thought kind of God was for him, he was for the Jews and sort of against everybody else. But God had something to say about this. Peter had a a massive blind spot, a massive prejudice, and God loved him too much to allow him to live with it. So he confronted it head on and he helped Peter to heal from this defect. So Acts 10, 1 through 16 is what we're going to read. This is the story of Cornelius and the conversion of Cornelius. So I'll ask you to rise this morning as we read this text. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me now. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screen for you. Acts 10, 
verses 1 through 16. This is just part of the story. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him and departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be present with us during our time this morning. God, to reveal the depths of our great need and to reveal the sufficiency of our great Savior. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So Peter was prejudiced against Gentiles. He was a Jew, and Jews were supposed to do this thing where they ate kosher, right? So when God sends him this vision of a sheet with this mixture of clean and unclean animals and tells him to take and eat, Peter is what? He's repulsed. He's a God-fearing Jew after all, and he can't pollute himself by eating Gentile food. His sense of ethnic superiority is so great that he even has the gall to tell God no. Apparently, Peter didn't hesitate about this. Like He told him flat out right to his face. He refused to obey God. Surely not, Lord. Nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. What's going on here? This is more than just about food for Peter, isn't it? It's more than just about whether he can eat pigs in a blanket or have a BLT for lunch. It's about a deep-seated prejudice that he harbors against people who aren't part of his tribe. Now, thankfully, God used this whole incident as a kind of light bulb moment for Peter, and he miraculously changed his heart, and we'll get to that. But even after this happens, Peter's prejudice still isn't dead. We see it rear its head later on in the Bible, in the book of Galatians. And the Apostle Paul, as he's relating this letter to the Galatians, he calls him out on it hard, like in front of everybody. So this is Galatians 2, 11 through 14. This is Paul talking. He says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, it's Peter, 
When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. This is good, right? This is what God called him to do. But when they came, these people from James, we don't know much about them, but they came and applied some peer pressure. When they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, I was looking into it. We don't know precisely the date of when this showdown at Antioch occurred, but it was sometime after the incident we read about this morning with Cornelius in today's text, likely years later. So at this point, if you know the rest of that story of chapter 10, I didn't read it all in the, for the interest of time, but Peter had had, eventually he comes to have his eyes opened, and he's starting to see the light. He's starting to see that the gospel is not just for, for Jews, but for Gentiles too, the unclean and the unworthy, to the point that like, he's even having table fellowship with them, which for a Jew was a massive breakthrough. But then he went back to his old ways, a little peer pressure and his old biases and prejudices came right back, and he separated himself from the Gentiles again. And luckily, the Apostle Paul was there, and he saw through Peter's hypocrisy, and he corrected him because the gospel was at stake here. This is something I find really fascinating about this. Peter's prejudice wasn't just a minor thing. It was actually a barrier to the kingdom of God. Basically, here's the crux of the issue. Here's what it comes down to in Galatians. If the gospel, and by the gospel we mean the good news of what Jesus did for us, if this gospel says that our value comes from Jesus alone, then every other criteria we use to evaluate people, age, gender, economic status, ethnicity, physical attractiveness, intellectual ability, every criteria we use to label people as good or bad or best or clean or unclean, to, to evaluate people's worth, every one of those is flawed. John Stott puts it like this. I think this is brilliant. He says, God's attitude to people is not determined by any external criteria, such as their appearance, race, nationality, or class. Now, the tricky thing about prejudice is it's not something you can really see on your own most of the time, is it? It's something that you need someone else to, to point out to you. Has anybody ever had this happen? Had someone ever like point out one of your blind spots? So much fun, isn't it? It's painful. We all have our biases and prejudices. We all have different predilections and dispositions and presuppositions and baggage we bring to the table that inevitably influence how we see the world around us. Maybe it's how we were raised. Maybe it's the influence of friends. 
Maybe it's CNN or Fox News or NPR or the podcast you listen to or, or whatever. There are a million factors, a lot of them unseen, that shape our worldviews. So what do we do? It's a very human thing. We draw distinctions. We look down on particular people or groups. For myself, my own personal prejudice is against Packers fans, which I think is understandable because, as we all know, these people are confused. When you think the least of these, you think of Packers fans, right? That's who he had in mind here. But let me give you a, 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 an actual example of, of this, kind of in my own life. Because I was raised in a, a rural farming town. I grew up in Clearbrook, Minnesota, up north near Bemidji, not too far from here. Uh, rural farming community, because of that, I notice that I kind of have a prejudice against white-collar people. At times. What I mean by that is not that I, I don't have white-collar people who are friends. But what I mean is that if somebody has never done a day's manual labor in their life, I'm less likely to trust them. And now that's not because there's anything innately sinful about being blue-collar or white-collar. There are godly Christians who have never done manual labor in their lives. It's hard for us to understand in a farming community. But it's true. I mean, I'm not proud of that fact. I'm just being honest. I'm more comfortable around people like me, people who look like me, people who talk like me, people who vote like me. It's human nature, right? We are constitutionally wired in such a way that the more different someone is from us, the less comfortable we are around them. Yeah? Here's another example of how this has played out in my own life. I don't know, this is just like, Pastor Luke, get it all out there today, I guess. But when we were in Princeton, New Jersey, which is where our family was for five years before we came here, Princeton's kind of this elite coastal city. And here I am, this farm boy, right, from Minnesota. And when I would do uh, my sermon prep there, sometimes I had the opportunity to go into Princeton University, like this world-class library, second largest theological library in the world. And I would walk in those doors, and every single time, I just felt, I'm not worthy. Like, I felt I needed to shout unclean when I walked through those doors or something, because it's like, who am I to darken the doors of this elite institution? I'm just a lowly Minnesotan. I felt outclassed to the point that I was uncomfortable going in. Biases and prejudices are, are strange things, aren't they? And because they're not always overt or self-evident, we sometimes make the mistake of assuming, well, they're just not there then. As if we as a society have moved past being human, <laughs> moved past these old prejudicial tendencies. But experience tells us otherwise. I have two sisters whom we adopted from India uh, when they were five and seven. And the only time I ever got in a fight growing up in high school was when somebody made a racist comment about one of my sisters. I had him in a headlock in the locker room when the coach walked in, so I feel confident I would have won. 
Another time, one of these other sisters of mine, she, she lived in Fergus Falls for a time. Fergus Falls, this wonderful Christian community. She worked at a coffee shop there, a Christian coffee shop. And at one point, a woman there refused to allow my sister to serve her because of her skin color. Prejudice is alive and well in our world. We're prejudiced against people who vote differently, people who have more money than us, people who come from a more urban area, people with a different gender, people who get their news from a different source than us. And we're blind to our own prejudices. That's the big thing. So we need to pray to the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts, to, to reveal those to us, to, to cleanse us. That's why in Psalm 19.12, David, he spends all of this time extolling the virtues of God's law. It is sweeter than honey. It is, it is all of these wonderful things. And then he gets to this point. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. And what's he saying here? He's basically saying, look, my sin runs so deep that I can't even know when I'm doing it. Everything I do is tainted by my own broken, sin-stained fingerprints, my own warped prejudices, and my only hope is the mercy of God. I can't even discern my own errors, much less the errors of others, so please, God, declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Cleanse me. People today will sometimes talk about, I need to do some work on myself. You've heard this phrase before, I need to work on myself. Well, not King David. He knew he couldn't fix himself. So instead, he asked God to do the work on him. But back to our text in Peter's vision. Let's hear the rest of the story, which continues throughout Acts 10. And I encourage you to read all of this. I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis of what happens. So Peter disobeys God's commandment. This vision comes to him and he disobeys the commandment to take and eat. But then a voice from heaven calls out to him and says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And what happened at that point? Man, Peter was convicted. And he responded to God's summons. He went to Cornelius' house, right? This non-Jew, this Greek from the Italian cohort. He preached a sermon and Cornelius, his friends and his family and entire household came to faith and was baptized. God didn't just convert Cornelius and his household that day, did he? He converted Peter too. Transforming his prejudice against Gentiles into a love for them. Listen to, to Peter's own testimony in Acts 10 verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any one of another nation. But God, whenever you hear those words in Scripture, pay attention, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. I should not call any person. Do you notice the difference here? Do you notice the shift? He's not just talking about clean and unclean foods anymore. He's talking about clean and unclean people. 
should not call any person unclean. And then in verses 34 through 35, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Peter came to see that God shows no partiality, no preference based on human distinction. But, but Peter's transformation, it went even further than this. It, it wasn't just that he was no longer against the Gentiles. He, he actually became an advocate for them, a champion for them. Later on in the book of Acts, chapter 15, if you want to read it, all the apostles were meeting together to discuss the conversion of the Gentiles and whether they should be required to obey all of the Jewish laws. And who was it that stood up in the council and advocated for the Gentiles? Peter. God changed Peter, didn't he? He even went on to become the leader of the early church in Jerusalem the center of, of the faith, a really important position. He helped spread the gospel. He was faithful to his Savior. And he even died a martyr's death, being crucified in Rome. See, what, what God did for Peter is what he does for us too. Through the shed blood of his son, God cleanses us as well. He heals us, he brings us to repentance, and he changes us. He bridges the chasm of sin and death with the cross and He calls us unclean people that we are clean and righteous. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus did for us. He forgives us and then He imputes, He accounts to us His perfect righteousness. He breaks down that dividing wall of hostility so that we can have a personal relationship with Him. The holy God of the universe, prejudiced against sin, nevertheless draws us to Himself. In the words of one theologian, God embraces that which should not be embraced. See, there are no longer clean or unclean people in the kingdom of God. I love how one source summarizes this truth. It says, the distinction between unclean and clean ceases to have any divine validity for the conduct of the community of God. The distinction between unclean and clean ceases to have any divine validity. Which means God's stamp of approval isn't dependent on how smart or pretty or strong or old or rich or American or male or politically blue or red we are. God shows no partiality. He cleanses us. People from every tribe and nation and tongue through the blood of His Son. And His blood covers all. Because as one person has said, I love this, he says, Jesus was a universal donor. <laughs> blood type O negative applies to everyone, all who will believe and call on His name. The gospel is for us, but the gospel is also for those least like us. Who is that in your life? 
That's the question I invite you to consider this week. May God give us eyes to see these people, hearts of compassion to empathize with them, feet willing to go where they are, and hands and mouths ready to minister and speak as He calls. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.